Translating knowledge from bedside to bench and back again is the holy grail for all medical professionals. Physician scientists are the transport vehicle. You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And our guest is Dr. Elizabeth McNally, Professor of Medicine and Human Genetics and Director of both the Institute for Cardiovascular Research and the Cardiovascular Genetics Clinic at the University of Chicago Medical Center in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. McNally is a cardiologist and internationally known expert on the genetics of heart disease. She's both an MD and a PhD, and she joins us to talk about life as a physician scientist. Dr. McNally, welcome to Reach MD. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So what's your life like as a physician scientist? How's your week split up? What's clinical and non-clinical? How much is research? How much is patient care? And what other kinds of administrative responsibilities do you have? I think for different physician scientists, they would answer that in different ways. But for me, it breaks down to that I spend about 80 to 90% of my time on research and about 10% of my time clinically. There's a little bit of blurring because some of the clinical work is research and some of it's clinical work. And there are some days in clinic when it's hard for me to tell which is which. But that's that's really, I think, the point is to be at that stage where, where it's not clear exactly which, which is which. I think it's important to do both things and, and to maintain clinical activity. For me, I've been very fortunate in developing a clinical activity that very much complements the research that we do in the lab. So I've been interested in the genetics of inherited forms of heart disease and in my my clinic, I've developed a specialty clinic where we see patients and families who have these inherited forms of heart disease, and we've been able to evolve the research to the point where we actually can offer clinical genetic testing for many patients and risk reduction that goes along with that, and that's been very satisfying for me. I'm anxious to, of course, move it forward to the next step, which is to move beyond just diagnosing patients and actually into developing better therapies for them, and hopefully that will come in the future. Administratively, I, I wear several different hats. I direct an institute for cardiovascular research research, which is dedicated to combining and providing coordination for all the cardiovascular research that exists here on campus, which is in many different departments and in many different sections of the larger departments. And so I also, in that capacity, direct a training program for physician scientists as well as scientists who are interested in obtaining cardiovascular training. That is an NIH-supported program. And then another hat that I wear that i sort of taken on because of the importance of clinical-based research is I actually also serve as one of the vice chairs of our institutional review board, and I view that as an important mission because it, it helps move research forward. So how many people work for the clinics and the labs that you manage? My group is about 20 people, and that consists of a, a mix of my trainees, which are MD, MD-PhD, and PhD-trained individuals, as well as those students who are obtaining their PhD or their MD. And then also, we're really lucky at the University of Chicago, we have tremendous undergraduate students. I actually have undergraduate college students who work in the lab, so we actually have quite a range of everybody from undergraduates to very senior postdoctoral individuals. I also have several key professional people who help me out as well, professional technicians and a genetic counselor who works with me as well. What would you say the annual budget is for the institutes that you run? Running my lab, for example, is definitely a, a good-sized business, I would say. Our, our budget is over a million dollars a year, and so I do a significant amount of fundraising to keep that going as well. And it, it's interesting. You are running a small business, a million dollars plus and 20 people. What kind of business knowledge did you pick up along the way, or did you just sort of have to learn it on the go? That's a 
great question and one I think that many new young investigators often find themselves ill-prepared for. Nobody really teaches you this stuff. You you learn it as you go and so you learn quite a bit about developing budgets and shorter term and long-term plans and this is all complicated by many of the vagaries of, of obtaining funding for your work as well. So it's, it's definitely a challenge. So where'd you earn your MD and where'd you earn your PhD and which did you do first, and was there a triggering moment that you knew you were going to focus mostly on research rather than clinical care? I actually participated in an NIH-supported MD-PhD dual degree program. There are a number of these programs around the country, and my degrees were actually from Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York. I started working there actually when I was an undergraduate. I went to Barnard College and then worked there and just fell in love with the place. It was full of really tremendous physician scientists, and here they had this great program where you didn't have to choose whether you wanted an MD or a PhD, but in fact, you could do both, and you could get great science training and great medical training at the same time. So the usual structure of MD-PhD programs is you do your preclinical years of medical school, and then inserted in the middle is your PhD degree, followed by the rest of the clinical training. And then that usually is followed by, again, a period of time in postgraduate training where you're combining getting clinical training with additional research training in the form of a postdoctoral fellowship. It's critically important that we support our trainees. Physician scientists are, are rapidly disappearing out of the system, in part because of the difficulties with NIH funding, and it's incredibly important that we keep people like this in training and, and let them be able to make it to career independence because these are the people that serve in a truly translational capacity, and I mean that in that they are often the ones who can translate literally between what the people are doing in the bench versus what's happening in the clinic, and sometimes that literally is a linguistic translation of just being able to inform both camps of what's going on and what the possibilities are. So make it easier for you to do some of your clinical research in that you have clinical care responsibilities so that you have a relationship with the patients instead of just recruiting patients? I agree completely. Many of the disorders that I'm interested in, these different gene defects that lead to heart and muscle disease, it is so important to actually see the patients who have these problems. You pick up all sorts of things when you see them and you're in the room and they tell you what their life is like and they mention that, oh, I've got this little thing. And it makes you realize things that you didn't realize otherwise. Many of those things don't ever make it into publications, but yet can turn out to be an important pearl in understanding how the disease is progressing. And so I, I think there's great value in actually seeing the patients. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Dr. Elizabeth McNally, University of Chicago cardiologist and internationally known expert on the genetics of heart disease, as she talks about life as a research scientist. What's it like to work at a major U.S. teaching hospital? That's a big part of what we do when you're in an environment like this, which is we provide training at all stages. And so whether it's my undergraduate students that I'm working with or the medical students that I'm conducting rounds with and teaching them or my graduate students as I talk and meet with them every single day or my postgraduate trainees, that's a big part of what we do. Doing this job is on-the-job learning. And so it's a great thing about wanting to do science is you can, from at a young age, decide you want to learn how to do science and if you're lucky enough, find a laboratory, somebody who will take you in, and you can actually stand at a bench and firsthand learn how to do science. It's a tremendous learning environment to be in, and I very much enjoy directing a research laboratory because it's very much directed at learning. And the University of Chicago is a, a great place to do 
that because we have a very unique unified campus, which is we are one single campus that has the undergraduates, the graduate school, the medical school, and the, and the hospitals all in one location. So it makes it relatively easy to complete all the different parts of your life. What do you think are the most fulfilling aspects of your dual work life as a researcher and a clinician? I would say I do enjoy the clinical end of what I do. I think it makes the research end more meaningful. I do enjoy the research end of what I do as well. Part of what I really like about the research is is learning something or figuring something out and knowing some fact or information before other people know it. I always like to describe myself as something of an information junkie. And so if you like new information, being in research is a really great thing to do. It's intellectually very, very satisfying. So what would you say are the most challenging aspects of this dual work life? The uncertainty, (laughs) without a doubt. Funding is is a real challenge in our in our current political environment, particularly for the last seven years. It's been very challenging to survive as a scientist. The NIH budget is dramatically less than what it used to be, and in fact, we've seen an effective, significant reduction of the size of research in this country. On top of that, there have been a real insertion of political viewpoints into certain types of research, which we haven't seen before. And I think it's been difficult for those of us in the United States, and I, I think we've actually seen some losing of our ed- that we've always had in the United States. Research in Europe and even in Asia has been moving along at great paces while we've been slowed down in this country. Besides the embryonic stem cells that we all know have made the headlines, what other kinds of places have political issues gotten involved with medical research? The amount of regulatory issues are are significant, and I embrace those and I understand why we have to have them, but the layers upon layers of regulation that, that is required to do the work that we do, I mean, we all spend a huge amount of time working on these issues, whether it's animal-based research or whether it's human-based research or even not involving either of those things, there's still significant regulation associated with what we do. And for the non-research listening audience that's hearing about this, what are you talking about when you say regulation? What do you what do you mean? Pretty much everything we do has to have some type of protocol approved by some type of agency. So whether it's working with plasmids or whether it's working with radiation or whether it's, of course, working with animals or working with human subjects, there are internal bodies that, as well, and external bodies that oversee them that we have to satisfy. And all of those things all have annual renewals associated with them. So there's a great deal of regulatory paperwork that has to be dealt with to just sort of do our business every day. And what would you say out of the work that you do, what percentage of time is spent dealing with those regulatory issues rather than on actual research or clinical care? It's hard to estimate, but in fact, I participated in some survey where they were trying to get at that. It's definitely significant, and we view that as under the umbrella of conducting the research, so it's often hard to put an exact number on it. But as I said, every single thing has a protocol that needs to be renewed every single year. And you mentioned that you work on the IRB at the University of Chicago how much time does that take out of your life? Well, that's a 20% job, so it takes 20% of my time. And again, that's part of, I view that as a very important mission because of these regulatory concerns. It's one of those situations where you can't sit around and complain about it unless you're willing to do something about it. And so that's why I do that part of the job. I think it's important to have people who are scientifically trained as well as clinically trained participate in this process. Institutional review boards are, are very interesting. They include lay members of the community as well as social scientists, as well as lawyers, as well as physician and scientist. So it makes for some very interesting discussion when we hold our meetings. And how often do you meet with your IRB group? My group meets once a month and we review protocols and, and go through them. And again, it's it's a really very interesting to get the viewpoints of the lay members as well as the, the legal expertise that we have. And of course, the physicians and the scientists who are part of that group as well. 
And how many of those projects might you have to review on a monthly basis? As a group, we usually review probably 25 protocols. Each month? Yeah. And so that means in the intervening 30 days, you've had to read and digest another 25 protocols? Yeah, as I said, there's a lot of regulation involved in this business. Absolutely. So a typical worker works 40 or 50 hours a week. What is uh, Elizabeth McNally, research scientist, how many hours do you put in a week at this job? Probably about 80 hours a week. Yeah, and how do you balance that with your family life? I am fortunate to have a husband who lives in the same world I do, and so we frequently spend our Sundays home watching football and working at the same time, and it helps to have somebody else in my life who who knows what the ins and outs of dealing with the NIH as well as dealing with the research laboratory and, and can appreciate the ups and downs of that. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Elizabeth McNally, Professor of Medicine and Human Genetics and Director of both the Institute for Cardiovascular Research and the Cardiovascular Genetics Clinic at the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois, for joining us to talk about what life is like for a physician scientist. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you access to our entire program library. And thank you for listening.